Now, a few weeks ago, Megan wanted to pressure wash our house. Now, this is not me saying I don't want to do it. I wish somebody would do it. I wish somebody would do it. And then somebody spoke up. In fact, Megan likes to do the yard work and, the, and making things look nice. And so her parents had a pressure washer and we borrowed it. And so I took the kids out. I think I was disc golfing or something with them. And Megan's out doing the pressure washing. And while out, we we're checking back in with each other. How's it going? She said, it's, it's really good. It's a little slow. Uh, it's a little slow. Uh, it's going to take a while, um, but it's, it's going well. I thought, a little slow. Hmm. And then later, I checked back in, and she mentioned the same thing. You know, stuff's coming off the house. It's looking so much better. It's just taking a while. This is probably going to take me like three or four weekends. I thought, huh. And then I came home and I said, so how's it going? And she said, you know, it's, stuff really isn't coming off like I was expecting for it to. It's, it's, it's good. It's going well. It's just, I don't know. And now I used to paint for a living and I pressure washed every few weeks the two words for pressure washing were neither slow nor tedious. And so for Megan to say, this is just a slow and tedious process, I knew something wasn't fitting. And so when I got home and I looked at the machine that was connected with the hose in all the right spots and the electrical cord and everything, I said, oh, I'm glad it's going well. Uh, But why isn't the motor running? She looked at me and then looked at that. And it was at that point, it registered on her face. She had new information that there should have been a motor running and it wasn't running. Now, let me take a step to the side and say, out of the two of us, she is clearly the smarter one. And if you have met us, you know this is vastly true. And so this story is shared by permission of Megan as we were both staring at this pressure washer that was washing with no pressure. (laughs) And really what she was doing was hosing off the walls really slowly all the way around the house. And so I called Randall and Diane and, and we found out that it wasn't doing the right thing because it had a, a weird connection. It wasn't a short, but there was a connection issue with the electricity. And so the instructions were, okay, well, plug everything in, okay, then unplug everything, and then plug it back in, and then hit the reset button on it, and it should work. And if it doesn't, just keep doing that process until it works. And after a few tries, it worked out great. And then all of a sudden, the motor kicks on, you know, and it's shooting out this amazing spray. And Megan's like, oh, this is different. And so when we looked at the house, it is amazing what glorified hosing of the walls looks like versus pressure washing. Stuff actually comes off. Now, this experience got Megan and I thinking, what if like my amazing wife and the pressure washer, all of us have been operating our lives with this limited knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done. So what if, like this glorified hose, 
uh, versus a full-blown pressure washer, we in fact are missing out on so much more of Jesus just because we simply didn't know what we were missing. Today, we are going to launch into a four-week series about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus. Now, there isn't anything more important that we could talk about in a church setting but Jesus, and we want to drill into who he is. Now, we're going to cover this between Jesus was, Jesus has, Jesus is, and Jesus will be. So we're going to talk about who Jesus was before he came down to earth, who he was on earth, who he was in and after the resurrection, and then who he will be when he comes back. Our hope is not just that we're going to learn some really cool, really helpful information about who he is and what he's done, but in light of that knowledge, alter how we live day to day because of him. So let's do this. Today is week one. Will you bow with me? Jesus, you are more than information or history to be known. Please draw us into your presence today. Draw us in as we talk about you, as we seek to know you more. Let the knowledge of you and your complete glory renew us fully. And in your good name we pray, amen. Uh, If you are here, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. If you want a Bible but you didn't bring yours, just slip your hand up and Sarah will be glad to bring that to you. Now, Paul is writing to this church through a letter in the book of Colossians, and he reaches out and he wants to give them the necessary building blocks for their faith. With no surprise, one of the first things he includes is this description of Jesus. Right at the outset, he wants to be talking about Jesus. Now, starting in verse 15, I think through, what is it, the end of verse 20, This is historically thought of to be a hymn. It was an early hymn that the early churches uh, sang, and they learned it to know more about Jesus. So Paul is using this to inform the church about who Jesus is at the very start of this letter. Now, when he talks about who Jesus is, Paul doesn't start with how tall Jesus was or how handsome he was or how many cool tables he built. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter. No, instead, Jesus goes, or Jesus, Paul goes cosmic. He says, okay, who is Jesus on the grander scale? Who is Jesus in totality? In verse 15, it starts, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, this is specifically a reference to Jesus on earth. So I'm not going to launch into this. No better way to start a sermon than say, I'm going to talk about this, but not now. Russell's going to talk about it next week. That's when he comes to earth, but it moves on further still. Next phrase. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Jesus is God's son. Now, you might think that this is a reference to Christmas time and Jesus coming to earth. He is the firstborn of all creation, but that's not where this hymn is leading towards. Now, the Bible teaches that God is one. There are three beings who are separate, but they are all united as one as God. They are the Trinity. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is going to be a pretty big difference between the Christian faith and a lot of other people who say they like Jesus, but they're not going to claim that he is God. The Christian faith said the Trinity, Jesus is God. Well, how can that be? Justin Martyr, this early church father, he says, it's like a candle with a flame, and you have this other candle, and you light that candle from the previous flame. Now, there are two flames. Making that second flame took nothing away from the first flame. They are both now flames. They are separate, but they are equal to one another. So if you imagine God being separate, but equal, three persons, one being. That's what he ended up using as a way to try to help early Christians understand this very complex thing. In Colossians chapter 1, it even lists all three persons. In verse 7, it talks about the Holy Spirit. And in verse 13, it talks about the Father, and it talks about the Son. And so now we're launching into a discussion about the Son. Now, don't let me get away from myself. Back to this notion of Jesus as the firstborn. Does this mean, if we're calling Jesus the firstborn, does this mean that he became God's Son? When it says he is the firstborn of all creation, It isn't meaning that Jesus was the first physical child of God. That is not what they are trying to convey. In the culture reading this, the firstborn son was the one who carried the father's authority. When they were adults, the son's words carried the same weight as the father's words. They do business in the family name. They carry on the family legacy in the world. So when Jesus is called the firstborn here, Paul is reminding them loudly that Jesus is the son of the father, one who bears and shares his authority all over creation, and that he came before creation, that his words carried the same weight, and that he was about the family business and legacy. This statement is larger than what it looks like at face value. Paul is declaring that Jesus is God. As the firstborn of all creation, he didn't earn his place in the Godhead and he didn't achieve it. Jesus was from God and was God before the beginning of time. So what did he do with this authority? Did he just chill on a throne and make edicts all the time? Was that what he did as God? No. Paul continues in verse 16 to reveal more of who Jesus was. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created Through him and for him. Note in verse 16, it says right at the beginning, for by him all things. And then it doubles back at the end of verse 16. All things were created for him. Jesus was the creator. Jesus was the creator. So when the Bible says that God created, here in Colossians it makes clear Jesus was the one who was creating. Now, making something from nothing 
is an impossible task. Even our most creative moments that we have are still built upon experiences, upon knowledge, upon information that we have. And uh, um, my friend Matt told me this, and I thought it was funny. All human invention is simply rearranging matter. That's all it is. Taking something from over here, something from over there. There, we created something. That's not really creating. Because cultures throughout history have rightly assessed, since all creation on earth is really just rearranging matter, the only people that can create something from nothing are God. Those who create from nothing, ex nihilio, that's God. Only God can create. And Jesus spoke all things into being from nothing. Now, I want to drill down on that phrase, all things. It's in this passage, just these few verses, I think three times. Nope, four times. Four times. Uh, In Greek, panta is the phrase. It's actually the exact same in English. It means all things. It means all things, everything, anything you can think of, this is what Jesus has created. And then the writer doubles down and says, okay, let's just explain what I mean by all things. Is it in heaven? Okay, he made it. Is it on earth? He made it. Is it visible? Can you see it? He made it. Is it invisible? He made it. All the powers that have ruled on earth for as long as anybody has ever known. What about them? He made it. He made all things. Panta, Jesus is over all things. And furthermore, as creator, Jesus didn't just do it at someone's behest. Nobody told him like a manager, okay, now go and take care of this. Jesus did this. All things were made for him. All of creation exists for God's glory. The way the earth rotates around the sun, that's for God's glory. Jesus did that for himself. The way that we exhale the air that trees breathe in and that the trees exhale the air that we breathe in, that he did that for his glory. The way that children are this weird and wonderful combination of their parents. And if you have multiple kids, these kids can be no different than each other, and yet they're still these perfect combinations of the parents. God did that. God created that, and he made that because it brought him glory. All of this is how God has set it up, and all of it is for Jesus' glory. Now, the author goes on in verse 17. And he is before all things. He is before all things. Okay, so if we didn't understand in verse 16 that Jesus was the one with authority who made it all, all the stuff that exists came after him. Jesus was before all things, and then all things came. And then the author, but in light of that, he extends Jesus' reach He extends Jesus' reach further still. Not only did Jesus have the authority to make it all and the power to speak it into being from nothing, but he is the power that keeps it all together. So um, deists, uh, of which some of our founding fathers of the United States were, 
they believed that God is like this great clock maker. And he, would, he set it all up, and he organized all the gears, and he said, okay, ready, set, go. And then he walked away from it. And the author of Colossians is saying quite the opposite. He did not start things and then walk away. In fact, he started things, and then he is the reason they continue to exist. He is the reason that the earth rotates around the sun like it does. He is the reason our bodies operate like they do. It is all from him, through him, and for him. Hebrews 1 talks about, and by the way, if, if, you're, if this is intriguing to you and you're saying, okay, this is all new information, I want to know more about Jesus, the book of Hebrews is a great book to just read through and understand a little bit more about who Jesus is. Right at the start of the book, it says, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. Now, it's a funny way to phrase it. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. But it's fantastic because it doesn't say he's upheld by the power of his word as if Jesus' words just happen to be powerful. And because he spoke them, then these things are going to carry in and be held together. No, he says it's upheld by the word of his power. Imagine Jesus, he has this big bucket of power, and out of this bucket of power, his words come. They are an extension of his power. He upholds all things through his power. Jesus didn't just matter to us as the Son of God when he showed up on earth. In fact, he was the reason that all things have existed, the purpose for which they were made, and the means by which all things, again, Panta, all things hold together because of Jesus. Now, whether you are a person who calls Jesus Lord, you have come to the Christian faith and are following him, or you're saying, I'm trying to figure this out, every one of you should probably still be asking right under the surface, okay, this is neat information. Why does it matter? Why does this matter? I didn't tell you that Jesus is God. That as God's son, that he is the authority, that he is the creator, or that he is the power that holds all the show running, because I thought you needed some new and solid info. I'm not here just to give y'all good information. Now, Megan stood outside the house and was essentially watering the walls with a hose. There was no umph, there was no force, there was no pressure There's a little pressure. You're right, honey. There was a little pressure. But there was no great power to washing these walls. Now, when I got on the phone with her dad, Randall, to find out why it wasn't working, I found out that it was that issue with the connection. And I now had the information to make it work. When we finally got it working, did Megan, do you think Megan said, I am so glad that we now have the info on how to turn this on. The next time I want to use this pressure washer, I'm so glad I know how, and then turned it off and walked inside. Well, no. Now that it was up and running, now that she had the information that she needed to do the thing that she wanted to for it to actually act like it was supposed to, she went to work with it. And again, the house looked awesome. So, What do we do now, now that we have 
more information about who Jesus is, that he is God, that he's God's son in authority, that he is the creator of all things and that through his power, all things are held together. What do we do with it? I've got four responses that I want to suggest. And obviously, if the Spirit is bringing something to your mind, write it down. Write it down and say, I need to dig in on this. But here are some four things that came to my mind. If Jesus is the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, then that means that God for eternity has existed in relationship. As my friend Matt Marino says, relationship is hardwired into the fabric of the cosmos. The interrelatedness of the Godhead is the ultimate reality. We were not made for isolation. We were not made for isolation. If God exists in community, then we are at our best when we are two. So the Father knows the Son. The Son knows the Father. We are to reflect that, and we are actually to get into relationships with other believers to encourage, to be honest, to grow close with others. Now, at Neartown, we have these things called loop groups. We say that loop groups are the place where we invite, invite busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ in all of life, where we live, work, and play. That's what we are wanting to do and be a part of in loop groups. We actually have new ones that are starting, one on Sundays and one on Wednesdays. If you feel that God is saying, okay, if Jesus was in an eternal community, I can't be a lonely island. I need to be drawn in and know others and be known by others, then grab that Connect card Fill out your name and write loop groups in all caps. Put that in the blue box. And I'm going to try to connect you this week so you can take those steps towards life-giving relationship here in this community to draw you closer to the Father because Jesus has shown us this is what is good. Second thing, if Jesus is the creator that made all things for himself, then that means you and I, and everyone else in the entirety of the world have value and purpose. We all are made to glorify God. So if we are here to glorify God, well, then that kind of clarifies what we're doing on the day-to-day in our relations with, the relationships with each other and the things that occupy our time. So here are some thoughts. We can now go to our jobs and work diligently, not just to earn a paycheck, not to make our boss happy or less mad at us, but instead we can go and work diligently to bring God glory. We serve our spouses, not because of some side benefits that we have in that relationship, but because it honors God for us to love them and serve them well. We treat our brothers and our sisters with honor or cousins or friends. We treat them with love and respect, not just because our parents will yell at us less if we are kind to one another, but in fact, 
That's how God has built us to love and care for one another. And so we do so in our homes to bring God glory. Kids can obey their parents, not because, again, they'll get yelled at less, but because God has set that up to be a way to bring him glory, to bring him honor. I can keep going through this list of just thinking of things that are changed, all because God created us for his glory. It changes the way we live day to day, and it actually frees us. These are not new tasks that we have to work for. We do not have to earn the Father's favor. Through Jesus Christ, God has shown us his love and favor, and he has said, I love you, and I am calling you to freedom and repentance in me. In light of that freedom and repentance, go and live. Go and be a blessing to others. Bring me glory by living fully into who I have created you to be. Third thing that comes to mind, if, if Jesus is the power that actively holds all things together, then that means he cares about the infinitesimally small things of the universe. The microscopic of the microscopic, God has his hands in that. If Jesus has his hands in that and is holding all things together, then the things that are in our lives, the problems, the joys, the frustrations, these are all things that God sees, knows, and is in control of. God is in control. And if he is in control, that means you and I don't have to be. If God is the power that holds all things together, then you and I get to walk about our days with open hands. And we get to love others with the love of Jesus Christ, not to try to control a situation, not to lose our cool when people aren't being controlled like we want to. This past week, I had the joy of being with my kids all week. Megan and Diane got to go out to Arizona, see the red rocks of Sedona and all their beauty. And I was with my kids in the middle of the week. Ah, yes. Thank you, August. Uh, it was a good week. Uh, but in the middle of the week, I, they were not doing what I wanted them to do at the time that I wanted them to do it and in the manner that I wanted them to do. And I was losing my cool. I had to show up to loop group and basically was like in a fit. I was in the middle of a fit and everybody could see it. And I was just like, I, and I was like describing how I was feeling. And you know, there's those moments where you can describe like, oh, I had a really tough day. And you know, I kind of got angry a little bit, but I'm good now. I was not good. I was in the middle of being frustrated. And I told that to the loop group and I got home and I talked to Megan on the phone and I snapped at her. I had to apologize for snapping at her. I had to apologize to my kids before I put them to bed because I was snapping at them. And the reason I was frustrated is because I was trying to have control of them being kids, acting like kids. I was trying to be the one in power. And I was not loving them and caring for them and honoring them in that way. And so I actually think it was like two nights, three nights. I had to apologize to the kids. And... Uh, and, and that's what the grace of Jesus looks like, is that we can do that with our children and we can do that with each other. We can live in love and forgiveness with each other because Jesus is the one who holds all things together through his power. Lastly, 
a right response to Jesus, who was the powerful authority who created all things as the second person of the Trinity, is worship. It's worship. That is our appropriate response to coming to know Jesus as he is. We will worship him. Now, I've continued to talk about giving him glory and honoring him, and there's really no better time than now to respond to that with our words, with our hearts, and with our actions. So the very first way that we are going to respond is through prayer. As the band makes their way up, I want to give these prayer items for you to think through. And then when the band gets up here and there's quiet music playing in the background, I'm going to be silent and I ask you to do the same and spend some moments in prayer. Spend those moments coming to Jesus and talking to him. Now, if you are not somebody who calls yourself a Christian, if you are someone here who is just investigating what this Jesus is about and what he might be in your life, I invite you to pray this. Jesus, I do not know you like Andrew is talking about. Please reveal to me yourself right now. Show me who you are. It's a simple prayer. Come to Jesus and ask him to show you who he is. For those of you who are faithful followers of Christ and you have called Jesus Lord, maybe your prayer can go like this. Jesus, I have known you, but I struggle to know you fully. Please draw my eyes to your face and fill me with a renewed sense of love and satisfaction in you. Let me live in light of who you are and what you have done. If you all will just bow your heads and open your hearts and pray for the next minute, seeking God for who he is.